Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. I've become a really aware in these days, there's some more serious things that we struggle to understand in life, isn't it? That there's some really hard things going on right now in this room that we struggle to understand, that we, we struggle to wrap our minds around. And, and we last week jumped into our text that says, count it all joy when you encounter trials because God's doing something. He's doing something good in your heart. And man, that, that can be hard to understand, can't it? In the midst of that pain and that turmoil that we find ourselves in, it can be hard to understand what God's up to. But he is up to something good, friends, if we will trust him. I'd like to welcome you back to our series in the book of James. We're on week number three of our verse-by-verse journey uh, through the book of James. We've committed as a church body to take a very slow and very intentional uh, step-by-step journey through this very practical and very pointed letter over the coming weeks. We will take a break for Christmas, but it's going to be a series that we become very comfortable with as we journey through. Um, We've already seen, and and you will know if you dive into James at all, that it is intensely practical. Uh, He kind of holds back on the theology, and he is more concerned about how that theology, how what we think about God and what we know of Jesus, how that should transform our everyday living. That's James. And we live in a season and in a time where it has never been more important for Christians to be Christians and the church to be the church. And that, in an essence, is what James is getting at throughout his writing. You might call it the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's very keen wisdom, very pointed. And so last week when we jumped into the week one of the nitty-gritty in our series, we, with little introduction, we see James move right into helping us see how to have a different perspective on the times of testing, the time of trial that we encounter in our lives, the times of difficulty. James proposed that these difficult times are producing something good within us, that in the hand of God, that he is working something in us, perseverance, that we might remain under his rule and his influence. And he's saying, let that work take a hold. Let it finish its work in you. And That's giving us this perspective that God sees and has a goal that maybe we don't always understand in our flesh and in our natural thinking. We believe that the original audience of this letter were Christians that were outside of the realm of Jerusalem. And they had gotten there many different ways, but persecution would have been one of those ways. So this letter and this instruction to find joy in the trial is to people who are under persecution because of their faith. They're loners wherever they go. They're having trouble meeting basic needs of shelter, food, clothing, those things. And that's into those difficulties that he is saying, find it joy. Take heart in these trials, in these testings. And if we're honest, even though we know God's word and we can study that truth, don't we sometimes find it hard to understand how to take joy in those times? 
because the pain is real. The challenge is real, and it's right here, and it's in here. And he's saying, take joy, because God is doing something in your heart when we surrender to him. He's calling us to a new understanding. Our flesh wants to rejoice when we escape trials. And James is saying, no, 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 no. Rejoice within that process. But how? How do we do that? How do we have such a radical transformation from our natural way of thinking of get me out of this mess to, Lord, help me see what you're up to in this mess, what you want to change in my heart, what you're preparing me for that I might not yet know that I need? How do we get there? Where does that come from? As blunt, if you will, as James began his letter, he he knew that it would be a challenge for his hearers and for us today as well. In our text today, as we jump in, beginning at verse 5, James tells us just how we're to get, to gain, to have, to possess this new perspective. We must ask for the wisdom to see things differently. You see, because like we just mentioned, our flesh wants to escape trials. It, it rejoices when we get away from the hard times or when we can shortcut that long lesson. So we must naturally receive something outside of us to see it differently. And that's what James tells us to do. We must receive wisdom from the Lord to see things differently. So would you turn with me in your copy of Scripture to James? So if you hit Hebrews, hang a right. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 5 today, 5 through 8. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So the secret to persevering under trials we see is not to try harder. It's not to grin and bear it because the, the, the truth is that on our own we cannot be strong enough to do what God wants to do in our hearts. It has to be a work that he does within us. We must receive that work. So the secret really is no secret at all. If we want a new perspective amidst the challenges, against the pains, against the struggles, we must ask and believe in faith that God will give us that wisdom. He will provide it. He will give just what we need in that moment. But as our text today said, we must ask with the right heart. So as we have committed together to this journey, let's rewind and start back at verse 5, and we'll journey through it slowly and begin to unpack it. So verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. We're asking God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You might find it like this. Hey, guys, if you're struggling to see the trials of your life in this way, it's okay. We all have that struggle. But you need to ask God to help you see it differently. He is always willing to help you see things his way. And so since James' first instruction is to ask, that's exactly what I want to do right now. So would you pray with me this morning? 
Dear Heavenly Fathers, we have studied already in your word that we are to come before you and ask. Lord, to receive your wisdom, to receive your perspective, Lord, that's what we want today. God, we don't want to continue to think our thoughts. Lord, we don't want to continue in our paths and our ways. Lord, we want to do it in your way, to receive your spirit. And so, Father, today we are taking you at your word, and we are asking you for wisdom, that you would show us, Lord, the way forward. Show us the perspective that you would have for us today, Lord. We love you. We are desperate for you to move today and reveal yourself to us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. I love here that James immediately moves from this hard truth to offering us the path, the way at which we can engage it. Because he, he could see already, as blunt as he is, he knew that it was going to be hard, a hard pill to swallow, if you will, if you've heard that saying before. And so for James, when, when he's saying, if you need wisdom, he is looking back and he is framing this whole process that he has shown us in verse 2 through 4, and he's framing that as the idea of wisdom. So James is not saying here, if you're not smart enough to figure it out, just ask. That's, that's not what he's saying here. Wisdom is this idea that it's more than knowledge, it's more than factual data that we've memorized. It's the living out of that knowledge. It's the practical application. You may have heard this quote before, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad, okay? A tomato in your fruit salad, like you won't, be, you won't even eat lunch if you think about that for very long, right? But so you have this idea that a tomato is fruit, you have that knowledge, but it is wisdom in how you implement that knowledge. And so wisdom, in a sense, is the ability of a believer to discern and to live out the will of God, to take the knowledge that we have through his scriptures, through revealed through his spirit, and live through that accordingly. It's that application of what we've learned. Proverbs 8.35 says that if we find wisdom, that in finding wisdom, that application of what we know, the living it out, means that we are finding life and receiving favor from the Lord. So that's what he's pointing us to ask for here. He's urging, instructing us. We need to ask God for the ability to take what we know, to take hard passages like James 2 through 4 and say, Lord, I see that. I, I know what your word says. Help me live it out in my everyday life. That's wisdom. And he's saying, ask. Ask for that wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6 says, Yahweh, or the Lord, gives wisdom. We must be in a position to receive from the Lord. We must receive it from outside of ourselves. It's not something as smart as we may be, as, as conniving and as good as we might be. We need to receive this from the Lord because it's a perspective that is not natural to us. We must receive it. And we are to ask God for wisdom because he is a God who gives generously and without finding fault. God gives to us from the abundance of his nature and his character. And so this idea of generosity here is, is not just that, that God is eager to give or that he is giving out of lavish supply, but as you do that word study there, it's really the sincerity of focus that God has one single focus in mind when he is giving us this wisdom. And so God's not scatterbrained in what he's giving us, giving us things we don't need. No, it's exactly, precisely what we need in that moment where we are in that trial. God gives generously. That's good news. That's good news today, friends. God knows exactly where we are. We are not alone in that trial. 
God knows exactly what we need. He cares more than we can imagine. He gives generously with all sincerity so that we might have what we need to see things a new way, to flourish in his calling and in his power. What's even better than that? God doesn't get frustrated when we ask for help. He gives without finding fault. He wants us to ask him. He wants us to come forth with him. When we face a trial and and we come to him asking for help, he doesn't say, oh, brother, here, here they come again. Right? That's not how God works. He doesn't question us as to why we didn't figure it out by now. Have you ever done that? Somebody asks you that question at work, you're like, oh, why haven't you figured this out by now? That's not how God operates. He's not like us. Praise Jesus. And he gives without finding fault. So we should make asking him our first step instead of our last resort. Uh, it's, it's so cool in our house right now. Uh, Eliza is, is learning her colors right now which is great. She's, she's doing pretty good with it, and she does, you can point to things, and she'll know them. But without fail, like if I point to a black stand or carpet or something like that or something that's green, she will go, blue, without fail. She says blue. And now she knows better, but her first response is always blue, and that's cute like the first 40 times, but it's like, okay, no, let's step beyond. That's not blue. That's actually green. And so in that, we see this tendency that we sometimes might be afraid to ask God because we'll see a trial come and we go, ah, help, run. And God's saying, no, just, just come. We, we might be afraid that we've blown it one too many times or that we can't approach God, that he might be upset or that we haven't figured it out by now. That trial comes and we go, ah, help. And God's arms are wide open. He's not like a, he doesn't get frustrated like we do when people ask repeatedly. When we cry out for help every time we see the things, God's not doing a face palm. He's welcoming us every single time. Why not make him your first resort instead of the last resort? The truth today in verse 5 sounds very, very similar to what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that this way, he said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Throughout the letter of James, we see him repackaging and repeating the truth that he learned from Jesus, his half-brother and his Lord. We see him repeating and repackaging that through the letter, ask and it shall be given to you. Ask for wisdom today, friends, to see things differently. Back in our text in verse 6. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. In verse 5, James is giving us the encouragement to ask God for the strength and help we need to face the many trials of life. The trials that are in your life that you're thinking of right now. But in verse 6, he says, we must have the right attitude in asking. Just as God is sincerely focused and generous, giving just what we need, that should define and should direct our asking. 
that we are not asking amiss, asking for help for our way, for our path through this, but that we should be sincerely asked and focused on his way, seeking him. Have you ever found yourself at the onset of a trial? You name what it is, something outside of your control. You you start out praying on one hand, Lord, Lord, help me to see through this. Help me to give, give me strength, Lord, to do this. You say amen, and then you turn about from that prayer and start trying to work it out on your own. I've seen me do that so many times. We start out in prayer seeking and, and wanting the Lord to move, but just in case he doesn't show up in time, I'm going to come up with my plan. Just in case I'm not 100% in on what God wants to do, I'm going to work over here on coming up with something that I prefer a little bit more. Have you ever been there? That's doubting. That's doubting God. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When we pray, we must pray with a singular and sincere focus. That's the essence of faith. That we have a resolve, an absolute trust and dependency on God. And so if we are praying in the morning and then we spend our days toiling and discerning how we can deal with the problem ourselves, that's doubting. That's what James is warning us about here. So what's the big deal about that? I, I think if we will just for a moment consider what that says to God. When we pray and we say, Lord, give me the strength, and then we turn around and say, all right, self, let's do this our way, we're really, we're really saying, God, I, I, I love you. I, I think you can do something, but I'm going to work on it myself. I'm not sure I'm going to like your way, so I'm going to do it my way. What are we saying to the Lord when we have split loyalties like that? How does that hurt his heart when his kids, his beloved, Don't trust him. I think that might just offer us a window into the severity of what James is saying. The seriousness that we should hear this. Think for a moment in your life. How do you feel? How do you hurt when someone you love doesn't trust you? How does that make you feel? What does that make you think or feel about your relationship with that person when they won't trust you? How much more might that hurt a holy God's heart when his kids won't trust him? So James here in his text is is really not saying that we can never have any doubts because at a certain level, doubt is a part of our experience. It's a part of being human If you would flip back to the Old Testament, look at the story of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith, he is a man of immense faith, but he also wrestled with doubt. Because you see, part of his story is when him and his wife Sarah, they they were getting on up there in years, and they had no kids together. And God breaks in and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have children. What's Abraham do? He falls down laughing. That's doubt. And so... The father of the faith, where we put, where the Old Testament faith looked to as their father, as their pioneer, he fell down laughing when God told him what was coming. But yet Abraham, throughout the course of his life, exhibited great faith, an overarching theme of trust and reliance on God. And that's what James is calling us to here, is that the course of our lives, we have a resolve and a determination to trust God at his word, to trust his leading 
There may be moments of doubt. There may be seasons where we don't understand. But the call is to bring that before the Lord and lay it at his feet. We must not make the mistake of doubting and and allowing that to take root in our hearts. Doubt is a battle to be fought, not to be accepted. The contrast to a life of faith, a life lived in devotion and loyalty to God is one that is riddled with doubt. And in our text today, James likens that life to a vessel that is being blown and tossed on the sea. If you've ever been seasick in your life before, you know how that turns out. We don't have the stability. We don't have that fixed perspective that we need. We're blown about by the winds of doubt. Doubt, you might think of, friends, is like living with divided loyalties. Divided loyalties. We're constantly torn in doubt between seeking the Lord and trying to muster up the strength to do it on our own. And can I just be honest at how exhausting that is? To give focus, to try to pray, and yet to turn and try to give energy to trying to deal with it ourselves, just how much that drains the life out of us. Because we're trying to do it two ways. Jesus also warned of trying to serve two masters in that way. He said in Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot have divided loyalties in our journey, friends. James goes on in verse 7. He says that person, the person that is doubting, that is being blown about, on the seas. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. This is James in his signature fashion here, kind of bringing that double down, if you will, on the truth that he's conveying. The person who is wishy-washy with God should not expect to receive much help from him because the truth is that the Lord does not tend to bless our efforts to fix things ourselves. Being double-minded here in this sense disqualifies us from the inheritance as God's kids because we're trying to do it two ways. And that word there, again, carries the idea of unbelief, of lacking faith or wavering loyalty. It, It speaks of a person who, when it comes to moral choices, is unable to make a stand because they're facing two different directions. Double-minded. And again, that's why James is likening it to a wind-tossed vessel, just blown about wherever the winds and the waves will go. And James' final indictment, if you will, on doubt in the life of believers says that they will be unstable in all that they do. The trouble with doubt is that it doesn't stay neatly confined to one area. Doubt doesn't stay neatly confined and unaffected to the rest of our lives. No, it will infiltrate, it will bleed over into every aspect of our lives. If we allow it, that's the danger and doubt. And this is really strong words. But as, as, as strong as James has finished this text, we, we need to remember just for a moment where we started. We need to remember that when we're doubting, that when we're struggling to see God's perspective, that James's first instance was to ask was to come to the Lord with those doubts, with those misunderstandings, and stay focused to hear 
his response, to hear the Lord's response, his leading. And we're reminded that the Father in heaven is reaching out his hands to help us right there in that place of doubt, of uncertainty, of misunderstanding. Throughout this passage, James is giving us good advice on how we should approach the Lord in sincerity and without doubt. But there might be a question today, friend, what do I do with the doubts I walked in here with? What do I do with the doubts that defined this past week? How do I deal with that? Because, friends, we're going to have doubts. What do we do with them? As the band comes up today, when we talked about how it felt just a minute ago when, when someone you love is doubting you, let's continue that for just one moment. What do you want that person to do? When in sincerity someone is doubting you and you're loving and it's, it's all in the upright and you, you just want them to come to you and, and work it out to have that conversation. Friends, I think that's what God wants us to do. It's not to try to hide in a corner and clean it all up and, and try to present something good to God. No, just come in all the mess, in all the doubt, in all the misunderstanding, in all the tears, and just come. And just come. Would you turn with me to Mark 9? We're going to dip out of James here for just a second. Mark 9, we're going to pick up in verse 21. So a touch of context to what's happening here. Um, there's a man coming here to Jesus who, who has brought his son, and his son has been gripped by an evil spirit for, from childhood. And it, it's, it's physically affected him. It's, it's affected his development and the Father is coming to Jesus. Let's pick up our text today in Mark 9, 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? How long has your child suffered and been under this torment? The father replies, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him to the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can said Jesus. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I'm guessing that every single person in the room knows what that father meant what he was feeling in that moment you see because the father had to have some level of faith to make the journey to see Jesus right why, why else would he come see him if he didn't have some level of faith but you can hear in his asking that that he wasn't quite sure he couldn't totally wrap his arms around just what Jesus was capable of just who Jesus was and he says if you can help me and Jesus says, if I can, yes, I can. Of course I can. And we see that Jesus in his reply says, everything is possible for him who believes. And he answered the prayer of that earnest father with doubt. He answered that prayer by healing his son. He moved to show the father that he could overcome his unbelief. 
that's a portrait of what we can do with doubt. Friends, our text today in James is not to beat you up if you walked in doubting. That's not it at all. James is throwing us a lifeline of what to do with the doubts that we have. He's saying, let's deal with it. Let's not encroach on the rest of our lives. Let us not taint our faith with doubt. No, come. Come and receive wisdom. Have a sincere focus on what God desires to do in your life. Friends, today if doubt is a dark cloud in your sky today, if doubt is prohibiting you or it's the weight that you're dragging to see a new perspective of what God is doing in your life, will you bring your faith today to Jesus? Just like the man in Mark 9. He didn't have it all together yet. He couldn't wrap his arms totally around it, but he had the faith to come to Jesus. Friends, will you do that today with your doubts? In the middle of that pain, And that hard time, that testing that you're going through, will you bring those doubts and lay them at the foot of the cross today? And allow Jesus to show you, to help you overcome that unbelief. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we need your wisdom to see things a different way, Lord, to receive, Lord, new life, to to live out what you have called us to, to what you have taught us through your word and through your spirit. Lord, we need you to help us live that out today. Lord, you call us to a sincere and single focus. God, in our humanity, that's hard. So, Father, today I want to bring my doubts before you. Lord, my doubts about the things that I see and the things that I wrestle with, God, I want to bring those doubts and lay them before you. And Father, I pray for the doubts in the room this morning. There's no condemnation today, but they're only an invitation to come and to receive from you. Lord, our prayer today, Lord, I believe, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. God, help us to have a single, sincere focus on you. To resolutely mark our lives by faith and obedience to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're desperate for you. There's so much in our world right now we can't wrap our minds around. We're desperate for your perspective today. May we lay our doubts down and receive from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.